and uh, and this will be my springboard. And um, I'm gonna go ahead and ask you to be mindful of Galatians one, because uh, I want what I want to do is I want to read the text, and then I want to kind of give you the context to the text, and then go through the text. And uh, and I've I've been fortunate that I've had a lot of time to study, um, you know, here lately. And I'm fortunate in the fact that I've, I've got a lot of notes, but the misfortune is I want to get it all out in one sitting, and I don't think I'll be able to do that for the sake of time. I mean, truthfully, this might be an hour-long message, so I'm going to go as long as the Lord will let me, but uh, I also understand there's a fine line between a captive audience and a hostage situation. So I don't want to hold you hostage this morning, but I do want you to be attentive to the Word of God this morning. And uh, I hope this will give you uh, some, some uh, help and a blessing. Now, one of my biggest blessings, and some would call it a curse, is I love to understand the Scriptures. I want to know what it is that I'm reading. I want to dig way down and get all the nuggets, and then I want to make it make sense. I want to make it really simple. But for me to understand the simplicity of it, I know it sounds like it's a contradictory statement, I've got to make it complex. I've got to I've got to dig deep and and so the title of the message is what does Christmas mean and here we're going to see the apostle Paul is writing to the church of Galatia and this is Paul's Christmas message in a way could you believe that the apostle Paul had a message to a church about Christmas this would have been it do you have your place there in Galatians chapter four if you do I would encourage you to to stand for the uh, reading and just reverence for the reading of the inspired and infallible word of God. Uh, the Bible says this in Galatians chapter number 4, verse number 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we are children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, watch this, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. You may be seated this morning in the fear of the Lord. Uh, to give you a little bit of context on what I'm preaching here, I want to back up to, to chapter number 1 and explain to you what's going on here at this church. At First Baptist Church, Galatia, if you will, Paul is dealing with uh, this church at Galatia, these Galatian people. Now, here he is. He's probably in Corinth. He's writing this epistle. He's on his third missionary journey. And he recalls in remembrance of a time where he came on his first missionary journey to initially talk to them. And these people have already fallen into corruption and false doctrine already. 
I mean, right here, the, the Galatian church had two main errors in what they were dealing with. The first error that they had that they were teaching obedience to the law is mingled with faith in order to have justification. And so what they're teaching is that, that you're saved by grace through faith, but you're also, in addition to that, you're saved by your works. You, you, you prove to God that you're saved by keeping the, the law, by keeping the commandments. That's one of the errors. That's, that, that's, that's a big uh, problem. The second is, uh, the second error was that the justified believer is made perfect by keeping the law. So the other error is, is that, that you're saved by, by works. And then the other error is you keep your salvation by works. They claim that you could lose your salvation if you would. That was false doctrine that, that the Apostle Paul was dealing with. And so we see there in, in, in chapter number 1, this is what he says in chapter number 1 verse 6. He says, I marvel. I'm shocked. Like, I, I mean, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. That word marvel there, that's strong language. I mean, that's probably next to a cuss word here. He's not cursing, but he's using bold language to grab their attention. Uh, I marvel. If you marvel at something, you're like, Whoa! Wow! I can't believe it! And maybe in the Apostle Paul's eyes, he's like, The audacity that you have. I marvel. Are you crazy? Is what he's saying. In a very polite way, of course. He says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ. That Him that he's referring to, it's a lowercase Him. He's ta- Paul is talking about himself. I'm, I marveled that you would hear the preaching that I preached to you about the, the, the Christ of Calvary. Um, and you know the gospel. And I'm the one that preached it to you. But yet here, you, you're so soon removed, you've changed the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus came, was born of a virgin, was overshadowed by a Holy Ghost. He was raised up and He was 100% man and 100% God. He lived a sinless life. And it is by His works, it is by His grace, it is by His blood that we have salvation. It is a gift to you. You did nothing except for confess and receive and repent. Why would you change that? But then He explains, He comes to the top in verse number 7. He says, He says in verse 6, I marvel that you... So, uh, that you so soon re- uh, removed from Him that called you into uh, the grace of Christ unto another gospel. And that calling there means there's more to come. Verse 7 says this, which is not another. So it's not another gospel. He just defines what it is. He says, but there are some that trouble you. They cause problems. They cause problems at the church. In the church. There's some that trouble you. They didn't come in just preaching a whole new gospel. They didn't say, well, believe by Buddha. They didn't say, believe on Muhammad. What did they do? And would pervert the gospel of Christ. Uh, to, to pervert something, it means to corrupt or twist something. To, to not be perverted means to be straight. Let's use a little secular talk. You, 
some people say, well, that's a straight man. means he likes women. That means he's straight. But if he don't like women, he's a pervert. He's perverted. That's where that comes from. So what he's saying here in light of the gospel is that some people have came into the church. They've troubled the church here at Galatia. And they didn't just change it. What they did was they perverted it. They twisted it. What was the perversion? They added works to grace. Or they said that you have to work to earn your salvation. There was a perversion. The church became perverted. There's the pretext to the context. And so he's explaining to them that he knows this church at Galatia is troubled. But he's trying to remind them it's all by God's good grace. But then he preaches his his Christmas, his Christmas message in chapter number 4. Let's go back to where I started at. So, so we realize the audience he's addressing this morning. We realize that, that there's Judaizers that came into the church. That's people that's trying to convert these Galatians to be, uh, to, 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 uh, be like the Jews were. They're Judaizers. And then there was legalistic people. Now, let me stop and say this. I don't know why in the world the modern church calls these people Pharisees and legalists. But the modern church says that somebody that reads their Bible and believes it, that's a legalist. And they say that, that somebody that believes and reads their Bible, well, that's a Pharisee. That's, that's the furthest thing from the truth, my friend. They just water down. They don't know the God of this Bible. But a true legalist says there's over 600 laws and we're going to try to get you back under, under that law. Well, Christ didn't come to uh, destroy the law but he, he come to fulfill the law. And so he's, he's making this transition. He knows his audience. And here he is and he's explaining to them the Christmas message. So what does Christmas mean? I see there in, in verse number 1. In verse number 1 it says, Now I say that the heir. Paul is talking about the heir. As long as he's a child. Uh, I'm talking about the heir here. The, the heir here is a father-son relationship. And everything that the father has belongs to his son. I ain't got a whole lot at all. But everything I got one day will go to my sons. Will one day go to my daughter. What little bit I have. And one day it it all belongs to them. And everything that I have access to, my children have access to. If we have a vehicle, they can ride in the vehicle. If we have, uh, if we have something outside they can play on, they can play on it. we got a shed in the back, they can get on Everything that I have belongs to them too. Are you with me? And so he explains this. But this is what he says. This is, this is something that people just gloss over. The book of Galatians, you've got you to dive down real deep. This is what he says. As long as he is a child, differs nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all. So even though your daddy owns all the property he has, owns all the houses he has, and you belong to him and that belongs to you, he says that you're still no different than a servant. Now, I want you to understand back in these times, these servants were like bond servants. I mean, if you had a debt, there was no, there was no uh, telemarketers. You're, you would loan out your children and they would pay back your debt. They'd work for free or you would work for free until your debt was paid. You was a bond servant. And so he's saying that even though, even though that you're a bond sir, even though you're an heir, he says you differ nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all. 
Why is that? Why is he saying that to the church of Galatia? Because he likens them to children. And watch it, I'm going somewhere with this. Although everything that the father has does belong to his son, Paul likened the heir to the servant. Why? Because he's a child. Paul lets us know that even though his son is an heir and everything belongs to him because the heir is a child, he is no different than a servant. Why? Because, watch it, he isn't mature enough to handle all that belongs to the father. I, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, we had, we had these really old tools. I mean, we had this thing called a weed whacker. Now they got weed eaters. And we, we had this one thing. I can't tell you what, what it is for the life of me. It, um, it was my great grandfather's. But it was a long stick and at the end was like a log. And I saw my daddy hit stuff and split wood with it. It was the craziest thing. And when I found out, it was a makeshift sledgehammer. But when I was a little boy, my daddy didn't let me have access to those tools. My daddy had a, had a, he had a sledgehammer, he had an axe. I didn't, even though it belonged to him, I wasn't mature enough. I wasn't ready to handle everything that my father had for me. Are you with me? And so this is what he's telling the church of Galatia. You're trying to go off here and you're trying to go off there, but you forgot to keep the main thing the main thing. And because of that, you've proven you're immature. You are likened unto this child this year. And so this is what he says. He, he gives a qualifying statement. It, it, before he gives a qualifying statement, this is what I wrote down. This is in my notes. This is specifically talking about God's people in the Old Testament, specifically the nation of Israel. Everything that the Father had for them, they were not mature enough to handle it. Think about it. Every time the Lord would raise up God's man, what happened? They'd follow the Lord. But as soon as God's man wasn't on the scene and pressing his hands down and preaching righteousness and repentance and salvation, they did their own thing. So time and time again, God would raise up a leader and through the leadership of God's man, the people of God would just they would, they walk right with God for a season. But watch it. But as soon as that leader died, or stepped off the scene or wasn't around anymore, God's people would go back to their wickedness and worship the gods of the world. I read a story this, this week. It started at the beginning of this week, and I, I still ain't wrapped my head around it yet. But I went back and I, and I read in Genesis chapter 6, 7, and 8 about a man named Gideon. And I read a little bit about Gideon, and I don't want to get into it. There's a lot. Those are long chapters. There's a lot in those few chapters. But he was God's man, and, and God's man was looking for God's people, and eventually there was only 300 <clears throat> Pardon me, there was only 300 mighty men to raise up to fight. And you hear this great story about Gideon and his leadership. But the travesty at the very end was at the very end of chapter 8 when Gideon died. The Bible said that Israel went back and worshiped Balaam, the God of this world. And I thought, man, that's just like what's going on here. Paul was there, he preached the gospel. He leaves a little while, and they just like the children of Israel. When they go unsupervised and unshepherded, they left the God of the Bible. But now he's come back and said, hey, you're just like those Old Testament saints. I'm just giving you context. I'm preaching the message in a minute. He said, you're just like the Old Testament saints. You'll do okay as long as somebody's constantly shadowing you. I thought about that. 
But then in verse number 2, we see, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. In verse 2, Paul lets us know that the heir, a child, is under tutors and governors, showing us that those Old Testament saints were being kept in a state of darkness. The state of darkness is the fact that the light of the world hasn't been stepped on the scene because the fullness of time hadn't come yet. They were looking for a Messiah, even then. But the fullness of time, God wasn't ready to send His Son yet. So now He's transitioning into the Christmas story. And, and, and He says, he's, because of that, the appointed time of the Father is when the Father would send His only begotten Son into the world. And it is here where we see what I believe to be something very profound. God has likened the church of Galatia under the Old Testament saints. But then he transitions and talks about the church for a little while. And and God shows us that the church is precious to him. The church means so much to God. God could have in the Old Testament sent Jesus then. He could have got sick and tired of watching God's people raise up and worship him under a man of God. As soon as that man of God dies, they just want to fall. As soon as a judge steps off the scene, they fall right back into the path they were once in. He could have got sick and tired of it then. You know what that shows? That shows just how long-suffering our God is. I'm so glad He's long-suffering with me. I don't know about you, but there are seasons in my life where I'm on fire for the Lord. And then there are seasons I might just step off to the edge a little bit. And God is long-suffering for me. Aren't you glad He's long-suffering for you? But He lets us know that the church is precious, for He waited. He waited to send His Son. Jesus had to go to that cross. We know that. But, but something that we often overlook on the way to the cross was the establishment of the local New Testament church. He says, I'm going to do things a little bit different this time. The, the church is so wonderful to God. The Bible says that He purchased the church with His precious blood. He'd never done that for the Old Testament saints. And so we see that there. I want you to notice in, in, in verse number 3. Verse number 3, Even so we, when we were children, in the bondage under the elements of the world. Paul was talking about the Old Testament saints, how they're in darkness. Then he goes to talking about the New Testament saints, how we were in our own darkness. The first darkness is that when we were children, actual children, uh, the innocence of my children, sometimes they just don't know no better. I mean, you tell something, they believe it. That's just how they are. And, and it's just so precious to sit back and watch my sweet children. And I, they ain't perfect, but they're innocent. They just don't know any better. And I tell you what, I got a blessing. Uh, and I told, I know I told... Uh, or I told Miss Gail, there she is. I told Miss Gail this story. I told you it's coming. Here's my, here's my illustration today. And uh, bless the pastor's kids. They always get roped into everything. So here's my sermon illustration. I'm not bragging on my kids. I'm not bragging on me. Although it might look like that. I just want to tell you how they watch us. So it occurred to me that I'm, I'm a great person, I guess, in some, some respects, but I might not be the best daddy when it comes to teaching my children the Scriptures. At least that's the way I felt. So I sat down with Rayla. I said, Rayla, have you heard of the Ten Commandments? He said, yeah. I said, what do you know about them? He said, there's ten of them. I said, okay, you're on to something. Yeah. 
He's smart boy. He's smart like his daddy. Amen. Say amen right there. She's just going to laugh. She said, oh me, here we go. So I sit on his bed like I always do. And if I sit on his bed and shut the door, he just thinks the belt's coming off and we're not going there. So I was like, the belt's staying on, so I just want to talk to you. Go get your Bible. He's like, what do I do? I said, you did nothing. I said, we'll show you something. So we go to Exodus chapter 20 and we read the Ten Commandments and we'll break it down. I'll explain what, I, what they all mean, right? I'll make a long story short, Miss Gail. My son has a, a plush toy doll. It's called an Eevee. It's just what it's called. And he loves that little, that little Eevee. Well, uh, Sissy likes that Eevee too. But she covets the Eevee. And she stole the Eevee and hid it under her bed. Because she wants it, right? She's innocent. She don't know any better. It's natural for her to break the Ten Commandments. Because she's born with the sin nature just like we all were. Alright? And I'm not getting on my little girl. I'm just telling you the truth of it. So he likens us up here. We're actual children here. We're immature. So after this is all said and done, we figured out. We finally figured out what happened. She confessed. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And I'm not there. And my little boy done something... Remarkable that I'm proud. It's a proud daddy moment. He said, Aubrey, come with me to my room. I need to get my King James. He don't call it the Bible. He calls it the King James. That's how you know you raised him right. And so he went and got his King James. And he, he said, Mama, is it, where's the Ten Commandments? And they figured out it was in Exodus 20 after Siri helped. And at, once they got to uh, the Ten Commandments, Raylan sits down and reads his King James and explains to her, Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not covet. I mean, tells her, I mean, just, just lays into her. She paid attention a little bit, but she didn't completely comprehend. Why? Because she's a child. She doesn't understand. Raylan's doing the right thing, but Aubrey's not. Raylan's telling her the truth, but she's just not getting it. It's right there in her lap, and it's, the flashers are going off. Bah, 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 nothing. Oblivious. So there's my illustration. Good dad moment, right? Well, that's what he likens unto this church here at Galatia. Even so, we, when we were children, we were just like Aubrey. The truth is told. It's right in front of us. We're in bondage under the elements of this world. The elements of this world is sin, my friend. It's darkness. And we see... The byproducts of sin through cancer, disease, sickness, illness, through, through, through uh, envy, through strife, through contention. Those are byproducts. And we live in this sin-cursed world. But the problem was, we once were in bondage. We were entrapped in it. We had no way out and we didn't even know we were trapped. That's what he's likened to this church. But then verse 4 brings a little relief. This might be all for today. I might, I might get through my introduction and that'll be it. Verse 4, When the fullness of time will come. But, when the fullness of time will come. But, I like those buts. It changes everything. It's that transitional statement. But, but when God got good and ready, He rolled up His sleeve and said, I'm glad about to remind the world just how strong and powerful I am. Because these people 
are born in the bondage of sin. They don't know any better. And even though He's raised up God's man time and time again, they're still going to volunteer themselves to go back into sin. There's no way out. They're going to bust hell wide open. The Bible says He's not willing that any should perish. Embrace God's heart. But that all come to repentance. So God made a way. He made a way out. In the Old Testament before Christ, how were people saved? They're justified by their faith. It was always by their faith. Now their faith was proven with works. But it wasn't justified by works. It was always by faith. As a matter of fact, if you read in the book of Galatians, he likens their faith unto Abraham's faith in the chapters before. It's all by faith. But when the fullness of time has come, what did God do? Hmm. God sent forth His Son. Capital S. His Son. His only begotten Son. How did He get here? He was made of a woman. He became our kinsman redeemer. He was tempted and tested and all like manners like we are, yet without sin. Made, watch it now, under the law. He had to follow the law, just like the Old Testament saints did. He knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to be obedient to God. When God got good and ready, He sent Jesus to that stable. Paul, right here, is preaching his Christmas story. What does Christmas mean? Verse 5 has the answer. To redeem them that were under the law. The law. I'm going to stop there and I'm going to finish that second part of the verse in a minute. Whoever is born of flesh and blood is under the law. Even though Jesus has already fulfilled the law, the ceremonial law is gone. But the morality of the law is there. Thou shalt not steal. We do it because it's the right thing. Thou shalt not covet. We don't do it because it's the right thing. There's, there's the morality of the law. That's why I'm glad when I can go to an institution that our government has set up and there's the Ten Commandments. I mean, if you really want to get technical, and I ain't going to go hyper-technical, but even the very architecture at our nation's capital and the surrounding buildings are there for a reason. There's symbolism behind it that ultimately point to the Christ at Calvary. But they didn't want to infringe on anybody's religious liberty. But even, even the columns that are there on the nation's capital have symbolism that ultimately point to King Solomon's temple, that ultimately point to the Bible, that ultimately point to Christ. Even the obelisk that's out there, one of, one of Washington's memorial, there's another one. One of Washington's memorial is just like a steeple. And it points to Christ. That's why I'm glad that there are still governments today, institutions today, that still have the Ten Commandments. 
back near, near the house, a little place called Landrum, South Carolina. Beautiful place. We almost moved there once. You walk into their Bojangles. There's the Ten Commandments on the wall. And I'm not talking about just like this. I mean, it's there. I thank God for that. My friend, the law is there to remind us of who God is. You understand that? But we're born under the law. But it also says this, we're babes in Christ. Elijah likes to eat just about anything we put in front of him, but he can't eat a steak just yet. He'd want to. Matter of fact, I believe he would eat it without the A1 sauce. I mean, he'd just eat anything. You put a tin can in front of that boy, he might be like a goat and eat the tin can. We've got to watch him. But he's, watch it now, he's not mature enough to handle it. He's still a babe. He can only take the milk. Paul here is trying to transition them <coughs> to get off what used to work and get on to what works today. And the only thing that works today is Christ. I know that sounds so elementary, but watch it now. This is where my heart of the message is. I think it was um, Thursday before I went to meet with the young at heart. Preacher drove by the church, saw a vehicle here. He called me and said, you wouldn't happen to be at the church, would you? I said, yep. He said, can I stop by? I said, yes, sir. Everything okay? So I'll talk to you in a minute. Pulls in, sit down. He's, he's dealing with some problems personally, just physical problems. But then, then he, he pours his heart out. I ain't going to get into all of the detail. But some tears were shed and he's just so, so worried. He said, preacher, he says, when I preach, they shout, amen. And when we sing, the altar's full. And I mean, it's just like everything's good. But preacher, I, where's the fruit? I said, brother, it's just like any other thing. They've been taught how to shout. They've been taught how to come to the altar, but it's all part of the order of service, whether it's written down or not. I said, what people need, this will help you here, is to fall in love with the God of heaven one more time. You want to see the fruit? You want to see the change? It won't come necessarily through a shout, although it would help. You want to see the change? It won't come through people at the altar, but it help. You want to see the change? Brother, get back to what God says and preach Christ and Him crucified. And people will fall in love with the God of heaven one more time. And it's through that love that they have for Christ. Oh, it'll do somebody a lot of good on the inside. And it's through that love they'll understand the reason why we even come to church. It's not for me. It's not for you. It's not for anybody else. It's for Christ. It's all for Christ. That's just like that song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. It's all about Him. The Apostle Paul here, he's not giving a whole dissertation of everything that's wrong. Bless God, that's wrong. Bless God, that's wrong. Bless God, that's wrong. But he's telling them what's right. And he's telling them there's a reason why you are the way you are. It's because you have forget, forgotten the Christmas story. You've forgotten what it was even all about. Why are we here? Why are we here? We're here because He redeemed us under law. Why? That we might receive the adoption of sons. I'll finish with that. 
I think that's enough for today. I want you to understand this adoption is not like the adoptions today. 